Hi there, it's Jake Humphrey here. Welcome to the Premier League Tonight podcast. The Premier League's best debate show is now available every week as a podcast and you can find us on iTunes, Acast and wherever else you get your podcasts from. Joining me at the Etihad to dissect another big day in the Premier League was Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard and Steve McManaman. League leaders Manchester City welcome Tottenham as they look to win their 16th game in a row with seven of the bottom half all in action. It was also a crucial day at the other end of the table and we discussed it all. So without further ado, let's get on with it. Enjoy. Just outside the ground now, a fabulous 4-1 victory to Manchester City. I can't believe how much we dominated that game. I mean, we're looking at football that I've never seen before. If you've got kids, bring them along to Manchester City. Show them videos of this cup, of this winning team. They've got so much to learn. Have we won the league? You'll never win the league before Christmas, but you can lose it. And I think Tottenham definitely lost it today. City for champions? I hope so. Look, something very, very, very special is happening at Manchester City and it's, the atmosphere is absolutely buzzing. You can feel it in the air, but we can't get too excited yet. Don't call us the Invincibles. Don't say that we've won the league. Don't say we're the best team of all time because we're only halfway there. The job is only half done. We've not achieved anything yet. Don't count any chickens before they've hatched, even if the start is absolutely incredible. We've done so well so far, but we've still got so much work to do. Indeed, that's the key thing. This is uh, Jason Burt, who's uh, an excellent Telegraph journalist, and he says this Manchester City side plays the most wonderful, devastating, progressive football. When Guardiola leaves English football, we will look at this team as the benchmark. He has set new standards. And we used to say, didn't we, when he was at Barcelona, how would that Barcelona side cope if they came and played Premier League football? Well, maybe we're getting an understanding of that now. I think you had an understanding of that when you watched a game at Wembley in the Champions League final and the one in Rome when they dismantled Manchester United, the team I played in. So, listen, the way that they set up tactically makes it very difficult for the opposing team to really get any space, any time to play football against you. And when they have the quality of player that they have out here at the moment, the Kevin De Bruyne's, the Silvers, the Reem Sterling's, the Sane's, Aguero, can go on and on. When you've got that type of quality and, and potency within your team, creativity, backed up by the tactical nows that Pep Guardiola has and sets them up with. Mm. Very, very hard to stop. Give us an idea of what the atmosphere would be like at the City training ground at the moment, in the dressing room, you know, when the guys are hanging out together. You played in a really dominant Chelsea side. You dominated with Manchester United. You did the same with Real Madrid, winning a couple of Champions Leagues. Do you, do you feel it early on in the season that you're onto something special? Yeah, I think so. The seasons we were uh, successful at Chelsea, we felt it quite early particularly the two Jose Mourinho years, we had a quite a young group as they have here. You just bounce from game to game. Things become pretty easy. As long as you keep working hard in training, you can't take your eye off the ball like that, but the dressing room will be buzzing, the music will be on, as we, as we heard last week. That's how it goes when, it's, when you're on a good run. Supremely confident as well. You can see that out there, can't you? The keeper is. The keeper yeah, was smashing yeah. balls all over the place today. It was brilliant. I heard the lads before the show talking how... Individually, he's improved the players. Otamendi, I thought, was excellent again today. People last year who were suffering from a little bit of confidence because of where they were in the Premier League were brilliant. De Bruyne is now playing the best football we've ever seen him play. And every single week, he's just churning out those yeah. performances. So, the supremely confidence. I wouldn't go along with Jason Bear because they haven't won anything. And you, you don't want to be sort of putting a downer on everything. We know they're brilliant. We know they look as if they're going to win the Premier League. But you can't say he's setting the benchmark because... They've done so well up to so now, uh, up to so now. Yeah, but six, it's done so well up to December. 16 wins on the spin no, no, it's is great. setting a benchmark. It's great. It's great. No one's He's ever done the that. Records, and that is great. But if they, blo- if they don't win the league this year, it'll be the biggest collapse ever we'll be talking about. So I think you just have to be careful. We all think they're going to win the league. And if they keep playing this type of football 
and on the way to averaging more than 100 points and scoring mm. 100 goals, that will be phenomenal. And we'll all have witnessed something incredibly incredible at the end of the season if that does happen. But I think now in December, we just have to go, it's great, it's brilliant, let's see, let's hope they keep on progression. So when do you assess the team then? Because we say not yet. When they but, lift silver? When but, then if silver they, but then if they win the league, we'll say, well, you can't compare them to a Man United side who won three or four in a few yeah. years. Yeah. 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 You've got to win trophies, but I think you've got, it's got to be over a sustained period of time too to say that it's but a great long? team. I don't know. They've got three or four a couple years of seasons. Yeah, minimum, I think, a couple of seasons. Because, mm. listen, they've had good teams here before. You can't tell me the team mm. of Aguero, Silva, Yaya Toure, company, Joe Hart, isn't, isn't a, a quality team that won leagues. They won a league... They never won back-to-back -back leagues, and I think you got to, when you're winning back-to-back -back leagues and you get into last stages of Champions League finals, winning it maybe, then you go, you know, actually, yeah, you can sit alongside the top teams. But tactically, I keep saying the word tactically because that's tactically they are so far ahead of anyone else. It's, and that's, that's the thing. Sorry, it's the style that they're playing in. And yeah. what I like it, but with Guardiola, if you want a question mark in Barcelona, he had amazing players that he walked into. Question mark by Munich. This, they're the best team in the league. He's come here and they weren't the best team when he came. Mm. They certainly weren't last year. And all of a sudden now, they're miles ahead and playing with a style that we haven't seen. But they do that. They, of course, they have to win. And I, I think he improved Bayern Munich. Visually, when you watch them, I did. I watched them lots of times, mm. Bayern, and I went over to Munich and watched them lots of times. And visually, I thought he improved them as a team. But he didn't win what his predecessor won. And that's what Trouble. Bayern Munich, you know, he never won the treble. He never won the Champions League. So it's, you play a very fine line with football. You have to do, you have to play the good football, but you have to bring the trophies home at the end of the year. Because if you don't, people just say, oh, well, never won the treble. He never won the Champions League at Bayern Munich. So there's always something. You know, he did it at Bayern, he did it at Barca. He didn't necessarily at Bayern, even though I disagree with a lot of the players, a lot of the people who, who mentioned it. But he has to do it here. He's halfway there at the minute. What, what I do love about him, we touched on it before, was his ability to actually improve players, their understanding of the game and understanding of his desires for them on the pitch in, in where to stand on the pitch positionally, holding positions and being disciplined within that. And I think that you see the likes of Stones, who was struggling last season, but now has come into his own and starting to produce performance. Otamendi, you mentioned before, but Sterling, we mentioned during the game beforehand, this is a young lad who, who has to have thick skin for what he's gone through mm. with England and has now come through the other end of it and is a top scorer for Manchester City this season, two goals ahead of Aguero. And he, he missed two chances today. He could have had a hat-trick today, you know what I mean, if he, he scores the goals. And he's, what he's actually found in his game is not only positionally is he doing great things, his movement, but he's actually getting in position to score goals and he's, he's actually defining games. And that's a, a huge thing to have in an attacking player's armoury that you can actually be the player that they look to responsible to take change games. What do you think it is that, that Pep is doing, Frank? Because every manager cares. Every manager works hard. Every manager stays up late and tries to build a team. They've spent a lot of money, admittedly, but Chelsea have spent plenty of money. Liverpool have spent a lot of money. Man United have spent huge sums of money. What, what's, well, how's he built this so quickly? Well, hard work first. He's worked hard. That, well, that, that performance doesn't come by you know, throwing them players on the pitch. But, but Spurs work hard. No, no, true. Can I finish? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can. Uh, no, hard work and... He's a student of the game and he has been since he was a player. Yeah. And I have to say, I actually read Johan Cruyff's book, uh, a Total Football, really interesting book, and Pep was one of the, was, you know, his main man on the pitch. He was his voice on the pitch. So he's been learning all the way through. So this is not the norm. We're not seeing he is special, he's different to other managers because he learned that at Total Football, the idea of the goalkeeper playing with it, the idea that any player, no matter what position they are, can play in another position. You have to be comfortable on, on the pitch no matter where you are. It's a, it's a really rounded view mm -hmm. of, of the pitch. 
And that's something that's new here. I think in our, in our way, sometimes slightly blinkered, we go, when we're young, you're a right back, you're a centre back, mm. you head the ball and you do this. Whereas I think he, he sees it differently. But what, what also, sorry, what I also I love about him, and I've, you, you speak to the likes of um, Thierry Henry, Gerard Piquet, who've played for, for years with him and have studied and listened to what he's had to say, is that he has intricate ideas, but gets it across in a simplistic way. So it's easy for you to go outside. I've been with managers who've put so much information into yeah. the system and you come out on the pitch on training pitch and thinking, I don't know if I'm coming or going here. Yeah. Whereas lost, you, yeah. yeah, you and you feel and look lost and the confidence kind of drains and saps out of you. Whereas he makes you go on there feeling six foot tall, but also understanding exactly what he wants from you. And that's that, that breeds confidence. And wants you to play all the time, yeah. doesn't he? Mm. It doesn't look as if he moans if you want to do something or you give a ball away if you're thinking of the right ideas what he wants to do I mean you look at Fabian Delph who's been out of the wilderness for a while mm. he's come in as Frank rightly said he's now a left back yeah. and he looks as if he's played there all his yeah. life at times he's just yeah. nice and comfortable taking people on nipping inside can play in midfield we know he can play in midfield we know he's good with the ball but he's adapted himself Mendy's out and you think oh my word that's that's a real bad injury because Mendy's a great player and here's someone who's a centre midfielder is playing left back and looks as if he can play in 100 positions. And that's all credit to him, because yeah. he hasn't played as much Premier League football as he would want to, but suddenly he's in the team. And, um, and they've not lost with him in the no, team, by the way. He's what, they, they've he, not lost with Fabian Delph in the team. But also, a real intensity. We saw him, didn't we, with uh, Nathan Redmond after the Sampton game, and we mm. saw the clips in the build-up today where he was really sort of right up in the face of um, yeah. Raheem Sterling. You know... He, to get his point across, he re, I mean, he lets you know exactly what he wants. There's no yeah, doubt, does. is there? The Redmond one was maybe slightly across the line, and I think he said that afterwards, yeah. and, I, and I agree with that. But in terms of his own players, it's not. Some managers, I think, put on a face, they, they jump around on the line, and we would have played under them. The guy trying to show passion for everybody. You can see that this fella, you know, sleeps and, and dreams of football. Mm. You know, it's his life. Champions League winners this season. Well, they've certainly got a great opportunity. Yeah. Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid are going to go out, aren't they? One of them are going to go out. That will only help City's cause further down the line. But they're playing football. They're the best team in Europe at this moment in time. I know Paris Saint-Germain lost to Strasbourg a couple of weeks ago. These never look as if they're going to lose. I've seen, like we all have, the German sides. We've seen the Spanish teams. These are the, these are the most consistent and the best at the moment, home and away. There's no team as efficient and no. as thorough as this team on the planet at the moment. And I imagine some people are watching this thinking, can you stop talking about City? But it feels like one of those days where you just need to really discuss what they've done here, doesn't it? It's, it's incredible. But if you are a fan of another football club, you'll be pleased to know we're going to talk about other teams in a couple of moments, but not until um, I've read out some of the social media comments. Mark Booth, I could never have dreamed that I'd live to see City playing like this. Every game is a joy. Only Pep's Barca are, are above this level in my lifetime. I agree with Rio on this, um, but this lot are getting close. Daniel Allen says, this current Manchester City are the most impressive side in the Premier League era, in my honest opinion. The level of dynamic and explosiveness is destructive. They'll cruise to the title and will win the Champions League too, says Daniel. And Anthony, um, it's getting embarrassing now. It looks like we've actually created football. Uh, we, we're playing with confidence. Pep is a master. Um, and Eugene says, Pep has made a mockery of the so-called most competitive league on earth. Let's talk about Palace. Here's Terence. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to see Palace win away. Oh, yes. 3-0 Palace, Bakary Sacco, capping off at the end. Um, as you know, before the game, didn't expect it in the slightest, but um, incredible performance. And Christian Benteke back, scoring goals. Wilfred Zaha looking amazing. Well, let's talk then about Wilfred Zaha. Um, we've got some information on the impact that he's made. Um, in that Crystal Palace side in recent days. And it's so impressive. You can take a look here. Um, 
in that team, since he came back from injury, he has been the best player for goals, attempts, attempts on target. Chances created, he's dropped down to second, but for dribbles and successful crosses, he's also first. And therefore, today, there were so many conversations on social media about Wilfred Zaha and the fact that he should be at a better club than Crystal Palace. And lots of United fans, interestingly, sort of mm. wondering what went wrong when he got that move to your club. How do you read that situation? I think with a lot of transfers, and it, it comes timing. That determines whether it's a, it's, it's a go or it's, or it's a failure. And I think he was young, uh, inexperienced, um, needed time to mature. And I don't think he was probably given enough opportunities. Um, David Moyes was under a lot of pressure at the time. And uh, he didn't see him as one of his go-to guys. And so that's just, a, again, timing was a key factor, I think. And I think if he had his time again, he'd maybe do a few things differently. But what I would say is that in terms of natural ability, raw ability, he'd be up there. And this kid, if you said to me, I'm going to want you to play against a fullback and stand him up and beat him 1v1, he'd be one of my first picks in the league because he's got that ability, he can move anybody. But then it was about developing the end product, your assist, your decision-making in the final third, positions to take up the ball, take up, take up f to receive the ball. They were things he needed to learn. And I think he's, he's on, the, on, on the, the right path now, learning that. And he's doing it in an environment where he's ultra-confident and he's comfortable back at Crystal Palace. And I think that he's, he's someone I think will get another move and we'll see a different different ending to the one that we saw at Manchester United. Yeah, the thing is, he's improving a lot, isn't he? Mm. Is, it, we've seen it with De Bruyne to a certain extent, Mo Salah at Liverpool, everybody speaks about, you know, three, four, five years ago, and the move to a Premier League club was the wrong move. They've progressed, they've got more experience, they've moved to a different team, they've got better, and they're now the standout players that they are. And hopefully this, Wilfred Zaha is the same. It was all about consistency with me. Mm. You know, he has to turn the two games out of five into four games out of five when he's nine out of ten, eight, nine out of ten. We know he's very dangerous. We know he can take people on and drop his shoulder and go past people and score goals. He just has to do it at a more consistent level. He's doing it now, and Crystal Palace are, are getting the rewards for it. And I think the difference at a club like, no disrespect to Palace or somewhere like that, the lower end of the yeah. table, is that the fans, the team, that environment allows you to be make mistakes here and there. You have to be so much more efficient in a team that's going yeah. for it to win the leagues, yeah. win the big trophies, the top four, top five teams. The efficiency is key. You have to be four out of five crosses needs to be going right on the button. You can't afford to be putting any one or two in, in, in row Z because after a while you get found out and there's someone else will come in and take your place because they have the resources to do that. What, what was your message when young players came into that Chelsea dressing room and they were there looking to mix it with you guys? And I imagine quite a lot of the time you sign a 19, 20, 21-year-old and they think they've made it just because they've signed for Chelsea. Yeah, some do, but it goes back to that hard work thing, doesn't it? I think and if you step into a first-team dressing room, I remember making a step, even though it was a long time ago now, it feels so vast at the time. Yeah. Everything's quick. Decisions have to be quicker. You make loads of mistakes. So that's why I think I feel for Zaha going at 20 years of age, development-wise in his game, but also mentally to take that mantle on. Mm. So you just have to work hard and, and keep and look around and see what he's doing, and that impresses me and take all the good things in. And how old were you when you sort of finally felt like you were mature enough to actually understand the way this game works and, and do justice to yourself? Because 20 is so young, isn't it? But we expect so much from these. Players. Yeah, mid 20s. Was that? Was it? At Chelsea, mid 20s, Mourinho came, and I felt more established, and all of a sudden I felt a bit more of a player. I mean, I'd made made it as such in getting into a first team then, but that was when I feel established yeah. and look forward. I think that's the thing, isn't it? We say it all the time. You, you know, we all made our debuts early and you were in the first team and making 30, 40 games a season. But until you churn out consistent performances every single week and then you turn into the player that your teammates look, look, 
look to to create or to be the leader. When was that? When did you feel you could take yeah, that probably like on. probably like Frank in my mid in my mid twenties. I was playing for England. I was I was playing really well. At times at Liverpool, you know, they were the they were the the days where every time my teammates had the ball, they'd look to me to, to pass it to me for me to start a, a, a move off or try and create yeah. something, whether it's Rio at the back mm. to stop the goals from going in or, or whatever the case may be. It's when you start to become the standout person in your team, the consistent one, who's churned out those performances all the time. That's when you feel as if, right, I'm, I'm really an important player. I looked mm. up to, like, John Barnes and the team. He was doing it every single week, every single week for the Liverpool team. And um, if you want to be successful, that's what you have to do. And I think with Wilfred, to go back to Wilf as an individual, I think at Manchester United, he was still searching for what he is. What are his best attributes? What does he need to work on day in, day out to get the best out of himself and to develop into that player? And that comes again, that's maturity. And I think it was just timing, I think, with Manchester United. And I think if the, and you have to, you have to remember, he wasn't David Moyes' signing. He was Sir Alex Ferguson's last signing at Manchester United. He unfortunately went. And I think that was a big, big blow for, for Wilfred. He was coming in, signing for Sir Alex Ferguson for Manchester United. And that kind of all went up in the, in the air when he retired. And that had a big effect, I think, on his, the outcome of his uh, time at Manchester United. And did you give him any time? Did you take him under your wing, yeah. your arm around him? Yeah, I did. And I, and I saw moments when he was low, um, which you do. And as a senior player, you try and go and you try and help cajole and, and talk to him and, and see how they're doing. And, and to be honest, I was probably one of his biggest critics at the club. I was probably on a training pitch. I was always shouting at him, always getting into him, always demanding of well, him. Well, that helped then, didn't oh, it? Fellow, no, no, no. But I was always, I was trying to just spark something within him to, to, mm. to help him to realise his potential to prove you wrong, as quick it? as That's possible yeah and I think I always say to the young players if I'm not shouting at you if I'm not pulling you up on things in training that means I don't think you've got a chance I don't care about you mm. you're not going to help my team win anything I saw huge potential in Wilf I still think he's, a, he's got potential to be a fantastic player it's just again I think it was timing a lot of things went against him at the club at the time and people say he got a chance but he, he got the odd game here and there didn't he it wasn't a consistent run of sort of 10-15 games yeah, well, you know what it's like I mean, I think we could all sit here and say, with England, when we played for England, it's the same at club level, until you get past your 10, 15, 20 appearances for a football club, you don't feel like a, a member of the squad even properly. You don't feel like an integral member of that squad, let alone the team. You need games, you need back-to-back -back kind of opportunities to go in and play, and then you can earn that, that right to be in a team and a responsibility from your other teammates. Some young players don't understand the standards needed. Yeah. Mm. They step over to the dressing room, they've done well in the youth team or reserves, whatever it is, and all of a sudden they don't clock on quick enough. Some do later on, some do straight away maybe, but a lot of players don't get that standard. Hard work, focus, in the game, how you live your life, what you do, they don't quite get it. I remember saying to you actually when we first started working together two or three years ago, I said at United, what did Sir Alex say so that when players arrived they knew the levels, the expectation, and you said, well, he said nothing. Mm. So yeah. what, he said nothing, isn't it? Because it was up to us. Yeah, we were yeah. their teammates, we told them what was expected. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to tell them, they see, mm. day to day, Who's in first? Who's in the gym doing their pre-training pre activities? Who's doing the, the yoga? Who's doing the, the gym? So who's out on the training pitch till, till the last person in? Who's doing extras on weak parts of their games? Strikers staying out for an extra hour outside, honing their skills. Frank done it for years. You'd see Frank doing his shooting day in, day out, more than some strikers. And I'd sit there and watch some strikers walk in and think, how can a midfielder be doing more shots at goal than you? on a daily basis with the intensity and it's all right going out there and doing training sessions right you're going to work on your shooting and doing it take a touch have a look take a touch and shoot it's intensity 
with England, with 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 uh, with Chelsea, with West Ham growing up, you have to make it match related, match pace, get the ball, touch, bang. So it becomes when you come outside there on the pitch, it's natural. You've been there, you've seen it. It's repetitive. It's in your mind. It's in your system. So where did you get it from? You. Uh, probably with, within. I mean, the fortunate thing I was a, a footballing dad, so he sort of rammed it into me at a very young age. So I had no yeah, choice. Yeah, he, he used to ram it into him. Don't <laughs> worry about that. He, he, he let you know, did he? Yeah. <laughs> do you think I wanted to stay out and do like long runs? And, <laughs> <laughs> no interest. But I mean, he did. But you know, as I say, I was fortunate. But everyone's different. Rio didn't have that, and Rio was a converted number ten, pretty boy, fancy boy, <laughs> became a centre half, and didn't really want to head the ball. He used to head fifty balls in training. Get uh, was it Roger Cross or whoever? Roger Cross, Frank Burrows. Yeah, volley the ball up to Rio on a cold day, and he's heading it, and he's heading it, and then throughout his career, he's he's heading everything, and that's the difference. That's what makes players, or, or, or doesn't make a player, if you, if you don't make those sacrifices. What about you? When did you realise actually how hard you need to work? Well, you know, I, I was fortunate um, to play for Liverpool in the in the 1990 area when when they just won the league. So I was training 16, 17, 18 year olds with the best players around at the time and as Frank says as soon as you join in a training session with them and you're slower than them and you have too many touches and you get caught and five or six of them are barking at you, pass the ball quicker and the coaches are barking at you, you know then you have to keep on working hard and improving and being quicker and being more focused and having the confidence to do things otherwise they've called you over or you're with them training because they know how well you've been doing at, at a younger level. So they know they've got ability. It's just whether you can step up. And at that, the, the, you know, that, that level now is really difficult. Mm. But you just have to keep on, keep on working hard. We, we keep on saying it all the time, work hard, work hard. Yes, everybody was blessed with lots of talent. But the hard work behind the scenes, no matter what we say you know, off camera or you know, we have a laugh and a joke, when we were training, you know, it was 100% committed and 100% hard work and focused and trying to be the best and trying to be better than, than the teammates who were slightly in front of you. All right, I have, to do, I have to work harder if I'm going to jump in with him. And then when you get your, your opportunity to play, level of consistency again. I think it's also about the mentality. When you go over to the first team dressing room, you go over to the first team pitch, it's mentality. Are you strong enough mentally to handle it? And you get tests. You get. Te I remember we used to go. We used to get called over. We was on the same training pitch uh, area as the first team, the youth team. Injury or someone doesn't turn up, they'd call us over. And I remember hearing Julian Dix on a number of occasions saying about certain young players, "Send him back. Yeah, good enough." <laughs> and, then That's not like and, Dix. Yeah, and then you see, and all of a sudden, you look at that player. Yeah, yeah. Some shrink and never, are never to be seen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some say, "Pardon, give me the ball." I'll, I'll show you, do you know what I mean? And, it, and that's what it's about, is there's, there's tests along the way. Who's mentally strong enough? Who's got the foundations built to go up and stay? Does that ring bells? A Dixie, yeah. I used to think <laughs> the boots. He used to frown back at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> enough, yeah. oh, I'm scared of him. But you've all, you've all, we've all been heavily criticised in, in our careers as well at times. And again, it's how you... If you're in a team and you're one of the star men, you'll get criticised more than a lesser-known left-back or the lesser-known right-back or something, if you're one of the star men who has to perform at a consistent level. And it's how you respond off the back of that as well. You know, when, every, when you're going through a bad patch, you have to be up here. You have to be switched on and think, you know what? I'm not going to hide today. I'm still going to demand that ball. I'm going to still try that thing. And if I get a groan off the crowd, you know what? I have to go through it again and battle through it until you start getting it right again. And then you'll come round and then the confidence will return. And as Rio said, many a player... Just you see them shrinking at times on the pitch when the crowd goes. Mm. You don't want the ball. They're hiding. They're turning away. We saw it at West Ham a couple of weeks ago when they played Liverpool. Oh, I don't want it. I'm I'm yeah. looking over here and running over here. And it's how you respond because everybody knows it. You can see it. What they do now. 
Talking of West Ham, we've discussed this with you about coming through at West Ham and getting really badly criticised from the fans. Do you look back now and think that actually that was quite an important part yeah. in your career because that absolutely yeah. gave you some sort of inner steel that you carried with you all the way to those yeah. titles? Yeah, without a doubt. It was character building. And it was quite extreme for me at the time and I actually had, was upset about it for a number of years. So, and I shouldn't have been really because as yeah. I got older I realised it was just part of, of the making of, of me mentally to deal with that sort of stuff. How hard was it? It was hard at the time. It was very hard because I was young and I, I felt, mm. you know, I, I felt I didn't deserve it, which you can feel even when you're old. But where I was young, I couldn't handle it, so I, I used to get a bit emotional about it. I never hid. That's the thing. I mean, I, I would, I was obviously there at that time, and even as players, you think that's a bit harsh. Why are you doing that? What's the reason behind it? But one thing I would say, and if young players do are listening, is that criticism from fans from some people within the club, Frank never hid. He always went out there, took on the shots when, they, when they came, the opportunities came up, took on the difficult pass, pass forward, mm. went out there with his chest out to actually prove people. And I think he probably used it as fuel yeah. to make them strides forward. And sometimes you become bit with stuff like that. You get a bit bitter and you think, right, but that's a, a stimulant yeah. to prove them wrong. And then when you do prove them wrong, you're not going to shout about it, but inside you know you've shut a lot of people up. And the same people who called you all every name under the sun are suddenly saying you're the greatest person around and that's what that's exactly yeah. what happens in football, doesn't it? Yeah. But you just I mean you were just a, a guy that grew up loving West Ham and wanting to play in the first team. Yeah, it's... Tony Cotty was my hero growing up. He used to stand in the tunnel because of my dad and I could watch him all run, walk past. So I wanted to play for West Ham. But sometimes fans are like that with local yeah. players. Did you understand it? Or, were you, or did you just completely not understand what was going on at the uh, time? No, I, un I understood uh, the nepotism idea that my dad was a coach and my uncle was a manager. So I, I can understand some bloke mm. uh, feeling that that's playing a part. Um, and, but I wasn't that confident in myself as a player. Like we talk about feeling like I'm, I'm all. At 25 at Chelsea, I wouldn't have cared what yeah, they would yeah. have said. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But at 17, 18, trying to establish myself, giving it away, getting done sometimes when I shouldn't have done, and then getting that on top, that's what made it difficult for me. And I did feel like hiding sometimes. Mm. And maybe I did occasionally. I don't know. You know, I got through it though. But it's uh, part of the process. But the young kids now have got a different medium to be criticised by. That's social media. Yeah. They, it can be even more difficult now for them because they're getting it direct into their own social feeds yeah, that they can look at themselves. So in terms of character building, thick skin, being able to look at criticism and get beyond it, I think it maybe could even be harder now for this generation. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, if they struggle with it, don't go into sports broadcasting because it doesn't stop then either. <laughs> <laughs>
Are we at that point now, though, where we're talking about a replacement for Mark Hughes, do you think? Never nice to do so, but they've won four games all season. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Ray? <laughs> it's not nice, is it? But you know, if you're a Stoke, I don't think we're there yet. Personally. If you're a Stoke fan and you're watching this, you do wonder what's going on. They've lost to Everton, Newcastle, Bournemouth, Palace, yeah. West Ham. They're all struggling sides. Yeah, I saw them against Arsenal. They were fantastic that day. They were good against Manchester United. Um, it's just about consistency, and they haven't found it this season. And yes, Mark Hughes is going through a tough time, but history suggests that he gets it right, and his teams don't go down. So. It's a gamble. Where do you go? Do you go back to Pulis? Um, do you go to a foreign manager? I mean, I mean Martin O'Neill was mentioned there before. Where do they go? It's, it's it wasn't different. meant to be about not going down there this season, was it? Because they finished ninth in succession. It, it's supposed to be building yeah. and improving. And Were yeah, they looking to go? Yeah. Well, maybe eighth, but not, yeah, well, but to not getting great. relegated from ninth in yeah, two successive seasons. Yeah, I mean, they're not playing well. And you can see why people are panicking at the moment. And they've just lost to a team who was struggling and the team's West Ham and they've just changed their manager so there's another uh, mm. that gets thrown into the mix as well but you know of course I'm not a, a Stoke fan per se but I'd still like them like him to be given time you know this time last week I went to do I was up at St James's Park what to do Newcastle Leicester and it was said if if Newcastle would have won that game which they could have on the on that night they would have been 10th mm. so you can see the fluctuation in just one week how you can go up and down the table and I'd like to see him get, uh, give him a bit more time because if he does win two or three on, on the spin like David Moyes has just done or Sam Allardyce has just done with Everton, um, you know, they could be ninth or eighth in the table. But I, I understand people's frustrations because Allardyce has come in and got got uh, has got wins, hasn't he? You know, even and Roy Hodgson got another good victory even. today. No, but they, he started at the Crystal Palace. He started his tenure poorly there, isn't he? But like Moisey's doing really well at West Ham, isn't he? Okay, well, let's quickly hear from Tony Pulis. He was asked actually after the game about the fans' reaction. This is Mark Hughes, not Tony Pulis. Mark Hughes, here's his thoughts. Well, that's understandable, clearly. I mean, up to 75, eight minutes, like I said before the second goal, I thought the fans were absolutely magnificent. Um, and they were driving us on, they were totally behind us um, and really getting behind us. And, like like ourselves on the bench as soon as the second goal went in it took the, the wind out of ourselves and then then you get a little bit anxious you get a little bit angry and uh, then you get a response but uh, for the most part i thought they were great uh ryan says stoke city been a strong side in recent seasons but they're sitting right on relegation this is hard times for hughes lee as long as he's there i won't be going what are the excuses today everyone happy with that no shots on target i mean that is an issue no shots on target against the west ham side but it's, it feels like all three of you are just saying give mark hughes a little well, bit i think more. so and like you're reading out all the negative ones I'm, I'm guessing the people who want to give him a bit of time don't go straight on social media yeah, yeah, yeah. Go give him a bit of time yeah, they, absolutely the ones who want him out so i think you have to have perspective um, of course, if it goes on and on and on and we get up to mm. Christmas, another four or five mm. games down the line. The pressure was increased, though, by the clubs that have made a change, having a reaction, isn't it? And yeah. the January transfer yeah. window just being yeah. a couple of weeks. But, but respect what Mark Hughes has done now. I think he's done a yeah. decent Absolutely. job year after year. And I think all of a sudden, they've, they've, you know, they're not in a great position now. But if you cut your tyres, I'm not thinking you're giving him quite the right crack he deserves. There you go, then. Three men who've played hundreds of games between them. And they all say, give Mark Hughes a little bit more time at Stoke. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to a club who have changed manager and have seen an impact. Let's hear from Rob. He's a West Ham fan. The lights are on. West Ham win 3-0. How relegated are Stoke City? Uh, and also, Marko Arnautovic seems like a horrible bloke and I love him. Uh, haven't conceded a goal in three games. Uh, Adrian's already got the same amount of clean sheets as Joe Hart, I think. I haven't checked it, to be honest. I was enjoying the game too much. Uh, yeah, all of a sudden, it doesn't seem like everything's terrible. I never doubted David Moyes, not even once. We're going to win the league, probably. Brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> 
I remember him crossing, uh, leaving um, the uh, London Stadium. London Stadium, sorry, when they'd just been beaten at Liverpool and he was so depressed. And then suddenly, three, four weeks later, he's coming out with another classic like that. Brilliant. That's football. I know, no, I, don't get me wrong, That's I think football. it's amazing, I love it. What have we That's said? It's, it's always heaven or hell everybody's, in football. Everybody no, has lived that, as, and we lived that when we were fans, yeah. like that type of emotion. It's brilliant to see. This is so impressive, though, isn't it, what David Moyes is doing there? Mm. Three clean sheets all season, three consecutive clean sheets in their last three games. And the teams they played against as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, well, and what I noticed when I watched him against Arsenal the other day, he stiffened them up, which is a trait of David Moyes. He's made them hard to play against. Um, no gaps, no spaces between the midfield and defence. But what he's been fortunate to walk into is a team, a squad full of strikers mm. who are there who are fit at the moment Andy Carroll Chicharito Anatovic um, Sacco scored again today Antonio's playing up front as well they've got five or six players there who are all capable of scoring and what you want if you're fighting a relegation battle or you're in and around that area is goals in your team and he's, he's got there in abundance uh, Dan says all the credit in the world to David Moyes we all had our doubts but he's doing a fantastic job just as people yep. had doubts about Claude Puel who's doing a great job and Roy who's doing a great job at Crystal Palace you know the club very well. The issue they're going to have now is there's going to be plenty of pressure from the fans for David Moyes to be backed in January to turn this into a team of his own and to go further up the table. Yeah, there will be, and that's the decision that the ball would have to make with David Moyes. Um, I think the, the bar's slightly dropped this season. They're very happy now they're out of the relegation zone. So if they can keep on this run of, of and then at mid-table, of course a couple of new signs are going to help them, of course. What comes first, though? A new contract for David Moyes or buying a load of players? Because do you want to allow a manager who'll have three or four months left on his contract to go think, and spend... I don't think it matters how many yeah. years. He could have 10 That's years on his contract. Say, Nowadays, it doesn't matter because you've seen managers spend 50 to 60, 70 million pounds in a window and three months later get the sack. So. But do you go and join West Ham if the manager's got four months on his contract or do you want to know what, what his future is before you commit to a It club? depends if I'm going to play every week and how much they're paying me. <laughs> That's the world we're living in right now, and I think that, that's a fact. But what I think would go going back to um, certain clubs in the league. At I least think it's honest. Though. I think, but certain clubs in the league have to be realistic with their expectations and the fans too. In that, you've seen Allardyce get the sack at West Ham because it's not the the right football that West Ham want to play, etc. Not the right manager for the club. There's so many things that oh, we're not finishing in, the, in we're not challenging for Europe. Mm. Well, I think at the moment for a lot of these clubs is stability and staying in the league. And then you can build, but build gradually. Don't expect to be Champions League or yeah. um, Europa League participants year in, year out when your, your, your resources aren't even anywhere near the clubs that are fighting for that on a regular basis. I think all well. that matters is staying in the league, isn't it? Yeah. With everybody? Yeah. No, that's, what, that's all that matters. You know, the gap between, what, eighth and the Too bottom, big, bottom yeah. part of the, the relegation zone last year was closer than it was to the, the team who were in seventh or something like that last year. So it shows it's depressing you that, though, isn't it? Like, you know, yeah, I can yeah, say this depressing. as a fan of a football club, not in the Premier League. When Norwich get promoted, all you want is to be out in the FA Cup, out the League Cup as quick as possible and finish 17th. Maybe pick up a why, few why, draws why? away from home. But why do you bring it back to Norwich? Because <laughs> they're the greatest team in the world, and they're already guaranteed fourth round of the FA Cup this season, aren't they, Frank? But any any sort of panic from any team just re- why are you laughing at that? Well, we'll see, won't we? We will. I look, I look forward to it. We're there, oh, I look forward. To we're it. there. But you see, Everton went with Roberto Martinez, and he was playing too much football. Then it was Ronald Koeman, and yeah. now it's suddenly it's the firefighting. So they so they said, and it was Sam Allardyce has come back in. And Tony Pulis is going to be linked with Stoke. Mad, he will it? be linked with Stoke regardless of anything. Because they're in such a precarious yeah. position, it's all about staying in the league now. Mm. What we're saying is football's mad. Yeah. And we love it. Be okay. careful what you wish for.
Thanks for listening to the Premier League Tonight podcast. Next week we'll be at Turf Moor as Spurs take on high-flung Burnley. And if you enjoyed this week's show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Bye for now.